Uh, but uh, in celebrating Christmas, you know, there's certain things like that, that out, of, out of tradition that we do as we prepare to celebrate Christmas. You know, some some celebra- uh, have already set those up, have already prepared completely. Others might wait till, I don't know, Christmas Eve or closer to Christmas, or they'll be preparing uh, in, in the days ahead. In the, in the first coming of Christ to earth that we celebrate each Christmas, for that advent, God had been preparing the world that in the fullness of time he would send his son to earth to be born of a virgin who will one day die for our sins. When Gabriel appears to Mary in Luke chapter 1, In verse 37, he asserts to Mary that with God nothing shall be impossible. In Luke 1, verses 26 through 45, we find four impossible actions that will be accomplished by God as he sends his son to earth to become a man, the long-awaited Messiah. So in Luke 1, verses 26 through 45, we find four impossible actions that God accomplishes as he sends his son to be born of a virgin, becoming a man, God in the flesh, the incarnation, the long-awaited Messiah. Let's open in prayer and begin this message. Lord, Heavenly Father, We thank you for everyone who is here this morning. I pray that you would bless this message from your word. Pray that it would be clear. Pray that all would hear. Pray that you would encourage and inspire each one. Again, reminding reminding us of why we celebrate Christmas, of what it's truly about, and just the gratitude that we can have in our hearts for your gift of your son at Christmas that we celebrate. And we thank you for the time to follow as well, where we remember the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, who came over 2,016 years ago to be born as a baby, humbling himself, taking on human nature without sin, and living that perfect life setting us an example and giving us so many teachings from you for our lives and then laying down your life at the end of that earthly ministry to accomplish your will to save mankind from his sins. We thank you for this announcement that we have in your word of that coming to Mary. We thank you for the principles that we can learn for our lives from this announcement, just to to remember how you do the impossible to accomplish your will, and how we can put our trust in you every day and remember that you are ultimately in control, and remember how much you loved us in sending your son to die for us, and sending your son to become flesh, to become a man. For us. 
We thank you for this time now. We thank you for everyone here again. Bless each one. Bless the reading of your word and the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. For your glory. Amen. The first impossible action that we find in this passage. First in Mary's mind, and perhaps to many Jews of the time, it seemed impossible. It seemed impossible that God would choose a woman of low estate, a, basically a peasant. You know, she was to be married to a craftsman, married to Joseph, a carpenter. But yet they were, they were of royal heritage, but they were, compared to those in authority over them, compared to many wealthy people at the time, compared to many other cities that others lived in at the time, that Jesus is going to be born. Mary and Joseph from Nazareth were insignificant and poor. And yet, God chose Mary. And to Mary and to Jews at the time, that would seem impossible. We'll see this first impossible act, action in God choosing Mary to become the mother of the long-awaited Messiah in verses 26 through 30 as well as in 46 through 56. Let's look at verse 26 through 30. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And notice, Gabriel is sent to Nazareth. Gabriel from heaven, from the kingdom of God, comes to earth to a lowly city called Nazareth. In John 1, 46, Nathanael, one of the disciples of Jesus, before he becomes a disciple, remarks to Philip, what good thing comes out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was just generally thought that nothing good could come out of Nazareth. Nazareth is a city in the region called Galilee. This is north of Judea. This is north of Jerusalem. And between Judea and Galilee, between those two regions, was Samaria. And Galilee was made up of many Gentiles. Yes, there were Jews, like Mary and Joseph and their families, who lived in Nazareth, but there were also many Gentiles. And the Jews in Judea, closer to Jerusalem, they, they looked down at Galilee. There was even a certain accent that went with that territory that was partly caused by all the Gentile peoples who lived in that part of the world, the non-Jewish people. So that even when, when Peter tried to deny Christ, his accent, his Galilean accent gave him away as, as being from that region of the, of the country. So the, the Jews looked down on that region it was not a highly respected area for a Jewish person to be from. And yet that is where Mary and Joseph were from. Let's continue with verse 27. Let's repeat verse 26. In, in the sixth month, referring to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, 
and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel, and by the way, that name Mary, that's the same name in the Greek as in the Old Testament, the name Miriam, Moses' sister. It means exalted, lifted up. Um, so it's a name of, of praise that was given to Mary by her parents. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that are highly favored. The Lord is with thee, and blessed art thou among women. That, that term highly favored, it is, it, it is the same term that we use, the term grace, unmerited favor. Yes, uh, Mary was special. She was the tool that God chose to use in bringing his son into the world to become human, to become flesh, to become a man. And yet, physically, and yet socially, yes, she is of the royal heritage. She is of royal heritage, but to the Jews at the time, and to Mary, it would have seemed impossible that she, almost at the level of a peasant, in an, of this unworthy town, in the region of Galilee, Nazareth, would be chosen to have that grace given, that unmerited favor given by God, that she would be the mother of Jesus, God's son, the Messiah. Every, every woman at this, this point in history, Jewish girls, they, they, they wanted to be the mother of the Messiah. They looked forward to the day the Messiah would be born, especially at this point in their history. So Mary is going to recognize this as well, that she is highly favored, that this is a great privilege, amazing, to be counted worthy, to be chosen, to have that grace given to her, that she would bear the Messiah, that she would give birth to Christ. Verse 29, And when she saw him, when she saw Gabriel, when she saw the angel, you know, imagine, put your... Put your Self in her shoes for a moment. If someone has appeared in the room and you realize this is not just a, just a man, this is a supernatural appearance. And of course, the, the reaction would, of any person at that time would, was naturally going to be fear. Why is an angel here? Who is this? What have I done? What's going on? And so notice verse 29. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Why is he saying, Thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. You know, one, one of the commentators mentioned on this passage that this is the way a woman should act when someone gives her unexpected praise. What, what, what do you want? Okay, but Mary, she doesn't know. What, what, what does this man want? What does this being want with her? She doesn't know yet. She doesn't know what the announcement's going to be. She's going to greatly appreciate the honor of being the mother of the Messiah. But she doesn't yet know when, when the angel first greets her and tells her that she is highly favored and blessed among women. She doesn't know. Why? 
What, what, what is this? What is happening? And she's troubled. She's concerned. She's worried. She's surprised. And cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. What is he going to say next? Verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And almost any time you see an angel or God appearing to a man in the Bible, you see the term fear not because it immediately there's a fear that comes with, with the presence of a super of a, a being. There's not human appearing to a man or a woman. Verse 30, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor. And there's that word again, favor. Thou hast found grace with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. That term Jesus means Jehovah saves. It's the same name in the Old Testament as the name Joshua. Jehovah saves. The Lord saves. And his name and the meaning of the name is significant. In Matthew 1, 21, the reason for Jesus' name is given there, for he shall save his people from their sins. Verse 32, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. You know, physically, Jesus is going to be a descendant of Mary. She's not physically going to be descended of Joseph, although legally he's also a descendant of Joseph. And both Mary and Joseph can trace their heritage back to David. Joseph, actually, through the kingly line, if you look into the genealogies, which we won't this morning, he goes back through all the kings, whereas Mary goes back not through all the kings, but she does go back to David. She's in the heritage of David, but not through some of the wicked kings that reigned after David, including one, Jeconiah, who was told he would none of his descendants would ever again sit on the throne. And even though legally Jesus was one of those descendants through Joseph, physically he was not one of those descendants of that wicked king, but he was a descendant of Mary physically. Uh, he was a descendant of David through Mary physically. And so he's a son of David and he's going to rule. David was given a covenant by God that he would have an everlasting kingdom. It, there would not fail a man to sit upon the throne of David. And Jesus is ultimately going to be that fulfillment. And that's still coming in the future. Yes, he's reigning in heaven today. But at Jerusalem, physically, as the son of David, he will return one day and rule on the throne of David. And from what I understand, you know, the genealogy, no one, no living per Jew, from what I understand, last I heard, there's no one who can claim without a doubt to have that, that genealogy that can be traced directly to David and claim that as Jesus still can, as he is still alive and will return one day and through his genealogy can claim as a son of David the right to the throne of David, his father. 
Verse 33, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of, of his kingdom there shall be no end. And that's encouraging for us that Jesus, he is going to return. He is going to reign of his kingdom. There shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be seeing I know not a man? You know, this question here is not the same as the question that Zacharias asked Gabriel when he was told that he would, that Elizabeth would have a son and he would be named John. Zacharias doubted the message and the way in which he questioned was different. Mary is asking for the details here. She believes the angel, but she, but she wants to know how is this possible? So she respectfully is asking here, how shall this be seeing I know not a man? And then verse 35, the angel gives the impossible answer. So first, in Mary's mind and in many of the Jews at the time, it seemed impossible that God would choose a woman of low estate to be the mother of the Messiah. And before we go on to the second impossibility, which is the virgin birth, let's look, let's skip to verses 46 through 56, where you see Mary, after she visit, when she visits with Elizabeth, she gives a song of praise to God and she mentions this first impossible action of God choosing her to be the mother of the Messiah. Look at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. You know, God takes delight in taking the low God, 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 has t God often chooses the last to be first, the first to be last, to humble the proud and to exalt the humble. And he does this in the case of Mary. He chooses someone who doesn't seem like a likely candidate. Yes, she is a descendant of David. But to the Jews of her time, this seemed impossible. It seemed more likely the Messiah would be born to someone of a higher class and social distinction of, of greater wealth, of greater notoriety, of more importance socially, and certainly not someone who lives in Nazareth, certainly not someone from Galilee. So this seemed like an impossibility, and yet God chose Mary, someone of low estate, his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth, verse 48, all generations shall call me blessed. And, and certainly that has been the case. Some, sometimes Mary is exalted even above what her position should be. She's, she was still just a woman, just a human being. And yet we can't underestimate the, the glory, the honor, the great privilege of being the mother of the Messiah. Verse 49, he that is mighty hath done to me great things and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. Mary was a woman who feared the Lord. It's one of the reasons God chose her. Not because of her social class or distinction. And I'm sure there were many other descendants of David that God could have chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. But he chose Mary. And she gives the testimony here in verse 50. That she's one who fears the Lord. And his mercy is on them that fears 
him from generation to generation. And he chose Mary and her generation to be the mother of the Messiah. Verse 51, he hath showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Many other proud women were, may have been hoping, may have been praying, may have been expecting that perhaps they could be the mother of the Messiah. They're looking forward to that coming of the Messiah and hoping that it would be they who would be chosen. But it was Mary. Verse 52, He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent away empty. He hath helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever, and Mary abode with her three months and returned to her own house. And so in those final verses, you also see that Israel is remembered here as well. Jesus is born a Jew. You know, and the Jews, compared to many other peoples, the Greeks, the Persians, the Romans, the Egyptians, they're a lowly people. But Jesus is born a Jew. God chose to send the Messiah to be born of Mary, who is from Nazareth. Yes, she's in the, in the line of David, but she's a, a Jew, a lowly Jew from the region of Galilee, Nazareth. That's the first impossible action we see in this passage this morning. The second is that God miraculously used a virgin to... to become the mother of the Messiah. This is an impossibility. It has never happened before or since that a virgin gives birth. Let's look at verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing, or that holy one, which shall be born of thee, shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she also has conceived. We'll stop there for now. This is a fulfillment to prophecy in the Old Testament that a virgin would conceive in Isaiah. And now it's coming to pass here. The Holy Ghost is the the one causing, making this possible. It's not a man. She had not known a man. She's a virgin. Jesus was both fully God and fully man. And we partly see this in his birth, that there is a physical mother, but there is no physical father. He is going to inherit through his mother human nature. But he already has a father. He already exists. We see this in John chapter 1. Jesus did not come into existence at his birth. He pre-existed. He was eternal. He was present in the beginning. In John 1, in the beginning was the word, referring to Jesus. And the word was with God, and the word was God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In Micah, uh, this summer, when we had our Christmas in July celebration, we looked at, at Micah and the prophecy there and how the Messiah was from everlasting. He 
had eternally pre-existed his birth. So Jesus didn't need a human father because he already had a father. He was already a person. He already existed as a person, but he was not a human person. He was God, God the Son. And when he comes to earth as a man in the incarnation, he takes on the ability now to redeem mankind because he can take the place. This is the ultimate sacrifice. The, the sacrifices of the lambs and goats and, and other sacrifices in the Old Testament were just pictures of the sacrifice that he would offer to God that would finally satisfy God's demand for justice. Adam had sinned, and because of Adam's sin, his sin passed on to everyone who's born a human. But Jesus, he's born of a virgin, and therefore he does not receive Adam's sin nature. Like Adam, who did not have a sin nature when he was created, Jesus has no sin nature when he's created. Adam was fully man, but until he ate of the forbidden fruit and disobeyed God, he had no sin nature. He had a free choice, and we can't imagine that today. He had no inward impulse making him sin, leading him to sin. He freely chose to disobey God. Jesus would be like Adam in that he did not have a sin nature. He had no inward impulse to sin, yet he had that free choice. He, but he is fully unlike Adam, the first Adam. He is also fully God and fully man. And he lives a perfect life while on earth, exemplary life for us, because he was a human. He was tested in all ways, like we are tested, yet without sin. And then he lays down his life, something we'll remember in a few moments here in the Lord's Supper. So that is the second impossible action in this passage. The third impossible action is for a woman as old as Elizabeth, who had never given birth to children. She was barren. It was impossible for her to have children. Physically impossible, impossible to man, but not impossible to God. With God, nothing is impossible. And God uses Elizabeth as an example, as a sign, as evidence to Mary that nothing is impossible with God. If Elizabeth can have a son, even though she's physically barren, she's not a virgin like Mary. She, Zacharias is the father of her son, but it's physically impossible because she's barren and she's old. And yet she has a son. And so that's the third impossible action here that's used as a sign to Mary. Look at verse 30, 36. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month which with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. John the Baptist was born because God willed it. God decreed it. God allowed for it. Something that was impossible with man. Nothing is impossible with God. And that's how great our Lord is and how powerful he is. And that's the third impossible action that we see. Elizabeth's pregnancy pregnancy like Mary's was a miracle and it's a miracle that was a sign to Mary an encouragement to Mary that she would have the Messiah and so Mary goes to see her cousin to see for herself and be encouraged and spend some time with her cousin 
have that fellowship, having that in common, that they're both being blessed by God to have a son. One, the forerunner, the one who would go and prepare the way, preaching repentance for the Messiah is coming. And the other who is the Messiah, who is God in the flesh, the incarnated Son of God. And so the fourth impossible action is that it seems possible for an impossible for an unborn baby. Something that modern society, much of it in our country and around the world, tells us today is, is not even a person. Someone who is an unborn baby to sense and to recognize another unborn baby in another woman and to know that is the Messiah and to respond. We'll, let's see it, this fourth impossible action in verses 39 through 45. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah. So she travels down to the south, to Judah, and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. So Judah, remember, is the area, is the province, is the region surrounding Jerusalem. Between it and the province or region of Galilee was Samaria. So she had to go a, great, a, a, a good distance away to visit her cousin and is there for several months. And entered in the house of Zacharias, verse 40, and saluted Elizabeth, 41. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Notice as soon as Mary says, greets her cousin, cousin Elizabeth, it's me, Mary, whatever she says. It doesn't say that she told her, hey, I'm with child. It doesn't say that she's told Elizabeth anything. But John the Baptist inside Elizabeth, who is six months pregnant, knows because of the Holy Ghost upon him and upon Jesus, upon Mary and upon Elizabeth, he knows and it's impossible with man, but with God, nothing is impossible. Verse 42. Let's look at verse 41 again. It came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe, John the Baptist, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed. For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And that's where we want to stop today as we look forward to the Christmas season. John leaps inside Elizabeth, and that's a sign to Elizabeth that she testifies to Mary that Mary is the mother of the Messiah. The Messiah is in her. It's a sign to Mary that proves Gabriel's words. And notice the blessing that Elizabeth speaks to Mary, that she has believed the word from the Lord. And remember, 
Jesus' words much later after his resurrection when he speaks to Thomas. When Thomas, often called Doubting Thomas, who said he would not believe that Jesus had risen from the dead unless he placed his fingers in, in, in the nail prints in Jesus' hands, his feet, and the spear print in his side. And when Thomas saw Jesus with his own eyes, he believed. And Jesus said, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are all they that have believed and not seen. And there's a special blessing for us today for believing. Like there was a, a blessing for Mary for believing Gabriel's word. With God, nothing is impossible. And in this passage this morning, we've seen four impossible actions that prove that with God, nothing is impossible. We see these impossible actions related to the long-anticipated coming of the Messiah, God being born, being, becoming man, God in the flesh, the incarnation, the long-awaited coming of the Messiah. The first impossible action that we see in this passage that we saw is that Mary was chosen. A woman of low estate, of low degree, low social status, was chosen to be the savior of the Messiah. The second impossible action was that she was a virgin. And the third was that Elizabeth also was pregnant by the, whole, by the power of God. That it was impossible with man for her to be pregnant. And fourth, John, an unborn baby, John the Baptist, it's impossible with man. But with God, it is impossible. And it, also speaks to the, the fact that life begins at conception. John sensed Jesus in Mary. And that gave testimony through Elizabeth and by Elizabeth that what Gabriel said was true. Mary believed Gabriel's word. And I hope all of us have believed this as well. And it's not just a story that we, that we tell at Christmas, but it's something that we each believe that God came to earth, born of a virgin, became man, became a flesh. He humbled himself, chose a woman of low degree. He humbled himself. And he would humble himself even further when he humbled himself, not just becoming a man and being born of a, vir of a virgin of a low social class, living in a town of Low reputation, Nazareth. What good thing cometh out of Nazareth? But he humbled himself to die for us in a terrible death of the cross. And to us today, the cross is very special, but at that time in history, it was the worst way that someone could be killed, and there's nothing glorious about dying on a cross. We're going to remember that death now in, in, in a few moments with the Lord's Supper. Are we remembering? Are we believing like Mary? And are we remembering this Christmas season as we anticipate, as we look forward to celebrating, as we, as we finish up holiday shopping and decorating and preparing for meals and preparing for the living nativity and performing it and the attending different Christmas programs as for the school? Are we remembering all the time, through all the busyness of the season, what it is all about? And are we bearing testimony like Elizabeth did, like Mary did? Are we bearing testimony 
of God's supernatural work, of God's doing the impossible. That's what Christmas is about. God did the impossible for us. By we, it was impossible for us to save ourselves. Without Christ coming to earth to die for us, we would all be condemned for eternity. But God made it possible. With man, it's impossible to be saved. But with God, he made a way to be saved through sending his son to die for us. Have you put your faith in Christ and do you live each day as a testimony of that faith? Let's bow for prayer.